Can I have you turn with me in your Bibles to the book of 1 Peter, chapter 3. Tonight as we come to 1 Peter 3, remember that he has been admonishing us as Christians to honor God by respecting and obeying those that the Lord has placed in authority over our lives. Because really, submission to authority is godly. Uh, the devil is a rebel, and so very ungodly. The Bible has a lot to say about honoring God by submitting to him in all things, and how that rebellion is as the sin of witchcraft, and uh, stubbornness is as iniquity and idolatry. So God has some very uh, harsh things to say about those who live in rebellion against what he has decreed, and that would include those that he has placed in society over us. We've been talking about that for the last few weeks. You know, he's been admonishing us, Peter has, to be good citizens and to be a good witness to those outside the faith by being respectful to authority because you're really obeying God and being respectful to him. And so Peter begins chapter 3 by commanding wives to respect the authority God has delegated to their husbands and to be submissive to them as a way of honoring and submitting to God himself. Now, let me start off by saying that it's not always easy to obey what God has said. It's always necessary, but not always easy. Especially because Paul the Apostle warned in 1 Timothy 3, excuse me, 2 Timothy 3, that the time just prior to Jesus' return would be characterized by an all-consuming love of self that would cause people to become proud, arrogant, rebellious, and lovers of pleasures rather than lovers of God. And uh, much of this thinking, I think, this attitude of these this last days that we're in, uh, much of this thinking and attitude has come into the Christian church and kind of infected God's people as well, which means a lot of times Christian women, now I, I don't know if they're all Christians, but uh, churchgoers, okay, they claim to be Christians, but a lot of times Christian women uh, often react the same way as unchristian or unbelieving women do when they hear someone teach on the subject of wives submitting to their husbands. But guys, this is nothing new. The New Testament has been commanding this for 2,000 years. Uh, God's word hasn't changed, but listen, the culture and even the Christian church has. And uh, God's instructions for the roles of men and women in marriage are totally at odds with the culture totally at odds with the culture around us. But again, let me remind you that God created marriage. God created marriage and has given us instructions that, although not always easy to follow, will allow our marriages to function the way God has designed them. You want to know why marriage isn't working today? Just to use a simple illustration, because people are not following the manufacturer's handbook. You know, you get yourself a piece of technology. Marriage is a complicated thing, all right? And uh, you get yourself a piece of technology, and you decide you're going to wing it and not read the instruction manual, whatever that piece of technology is. Probably won't function the way the manufacturer designed it. And we are much more advanced and technical than, you know, we are fearfully and wonderfully made. And uh, God has created this wonderful thing called marriage, he uh, created it, he regulates it, and he has given us instructions on how it is to function. Uh, not always easy because our flesh gets in the way. We're, you know, we still have that fallen nature we're dealing with. But if we will, by the Spirit's grace, 
follow God's instructions with regard to husbands and wives in the context of marriage, well, let me just say this. Our marriages will function the way God has designed them, which means we will wind up with God-blessed, God-honoring marriages. And as Christians, it just comes down to this. We need to ask ourselves, if we're going to line up with the world and the world's way of thinking on this subject, or are we going to stand on the side of God and be faithful to what he has commanded when it comes to marriage? And listen, in particular, when it comes to the God-ordained roles of men and women in marriage. I will say this, husbands and wives can only fulfill the responsibilities as Christians to each other if, listen, if they have a spirit-filled life and a word-oriented heart. And really, they're the same thing. So if you're not right with God, well, you're going to have a very difficult time not just obeying, but even desiring to do what God has said in the way of how you should relate to your spouse. In fact, the degree to which you are walking with God will be the degree to which you will desire and be able to apply these principles into your life and marriage. So uh, marriage is kind of a barometer about what's going on in your heart with the Lord. Uh, The farther we get away from God, the old nature begins to fill the vacuum, and the old nature is all about self and rebellion and so on. So, you know, whenever I see a marriage struggling, Two people uh, fighting with each other for dominance or whatever it might be, I know that they're not walking with God. Because if you're walking with God, I'm not saying you won't have any problems. I'm not saying you, you won't have any conflict in marriage ever if you're walking in the Spirit. But it'll be greatly reduced. And when conflict arises, uh, you will humble yourself because you know it honors God to just do what He has said, and God will bless it, and, and your marriage will prosper. So with that in mind, we read in 1 Peter 3, verse 1, Wives, likewise, be submissive to your own husbands. Let me stop there. Before we actually look at this, I'd like you to turn to Ephesians 5, and let's study what Paul has to say on the subject of marriage. We'll focus on the wives tonight, and we'll get the guys next week, girls. Guys, you better come back. (laughs) And then we'll come back to 1 Peter to see what Peter has to say to the gals in marriage, okay? So Ephesians 5, a classic passage on marriage. Ephesians 5, starting with verse 22. Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, as also Christ is the head of the church, and he is the Savior of the body. Therefore, just as the church is subject to Christ, so let the wives be to their own husbands in everything. Let's pick that apart a little bit. Verse 22, Paul says, Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. The word submit there, guys, is the word hupatasso in the Greek. Now, that uh, is a combination of two Greek words. Hupa means under, and tasso basically means to line up. And so hupatasso, therefore, means to line up under. It was used quite a bit as a military term, and it meant to rank beneath the authority of another to rank beneath the authority of another. Now, as Christians, we are to rank ourselves, listen, under one another, not over each other. I won't have you turn there. You probably remember it, but for reference later on tonight or tomorrow, uh, Matthew 20, the disciples were constantly arguing amongst themselves who was going to be the greatest in, in the kingdom. 
And so in Matthew 20, the Lord actually just turns to them and says, Look, greatness in the kingdom is not measured by how many people you are over. It's by how many people you get yourself under to serve. He said that is the mark of greatness in God's kingdom. And the world is different. The world measures greatness by how many people are, are under you. God marks it with humility in how many people you have gotten under to lift up and to be humble toward. Of course, Paul reinforces this in Philippians 2, verse 3. Let nothing be done through selfish ambition or conceit, but in lowliness of mind, let each esteem others better than himself. Esteem means to value, to lift up, uh, put others above yourselves. Uh, that's what God wants. And of course, uh, this is applying to marriage, okay? Hupatasso, you know, unbelievers here, we talk about Authority and submission, they really chafe. Uh, sometimes they get violently upset uh, because we Christians believe in roles in marriage. We get that from God, all right? And that husbands are in authority over their wives who are to be submissive. And the world interprets that as authority equals superiority, uh, submission equals inferiority. So we're actually telling uh, men and women in marriage, men are superior, women are inferior. That's absolutely untrue. The Greek word is not a word of inferior or superior. It's a word of function. It's all it is, a word of function, just like in the military. In the military, people sign up to be in the military. Of course, well, our military, they're all Americans. Our Constitution guarantees they're all equal. And yet, they have voluntarily placed themselves under the authority of a commanding officer. He's not better than them any more than the Father is better than the Son. My Father is greater than I, right? When Jesus said that, he wasn't saying the Father is better than me, because they're, they're both God, they're equal. My Father is greater than I in the sense of authority. I have voluntarily placed myself under the authority of my Father. I have left my exalted place in heaven took the form of a man, humbled myself to learn obedience, ultimately go to the cross that people might be saved. So gals, this is not about your husband being better than you. Uh, in any way, shape, or form, it's about function. You can't, as somebody has said, you can't have a two-headed monster running your marriage. You're going to come to times when there's an impasse. When you want to do one thing and she or he wants to do another thing, and somebody has got, you pray about it, and you talk it through, and it's a big decision, and you're not agreeing. At one point, somebody has to cast the deciding vote, and God says the men are in that role. But we'll talk about that more in a moment. Now listen, this hupotasso is a different Greek word than the one Paul uses later on in Ephesians 6 when he commands children to obey their parents and slaves to obey their masters. That is the Greek word hupokuo. Listen, in marriage, a wife is not a child, nor is she a slave who stands ready to obey her husband's every command. That might be in some marriages, that's not a biblical marriage. She is his partner and his equal. Galatians 3.28 makes that clear. And yet, listen, that does not negate his authority over her or her submission to him. Again, you can have equality and yet still have authority and submission. Again, I point to the, to the father and the son. Both equal because they're God. But the Son has placed himself voluntarily into the Father's authority. So again, verse 22, wives, submit to your own husbands. 
Listen, gals, you wives don't have to submit to all husbands. <laughs> Thank God. Uh, there are groups that kind of teach that. That all husbands are an authority over all wives. That's not biblical. Okay, it's right here. Submit to your own husbands, all right? When the Bible says, girls, submit to your own husbands, the Greek, listen to me, this is important, also conveys the idea of belonging. Belonging. Now listen, in marriage, a husband and a wife belong to each other. That's why when God ordained this relationship with Israel and he married them in the Old Testament, they were called the wife of Jehovah, but they were the unfaithful wife of Jehovah because they went after other gods. And that, that's why God said, I am a jealous God, and he punished them. And people say, well, that's sin. Jealousy is a sin, isn't it? No, jealousy is not a sin. Jealousy, it's, well, if it, it could be acted out in a wrong way. A guy could be jealous of his wife because she's flirting around, and he could do something criminal, violent. That's wrong. But when we entered into a covenant with each other in marriage, my wife belongs to me. <gasps> that's terrible. No, it's not terrible. That's just the way it is. And I belong to her. And she has every, every right to believe that I'm going to be faithful to her. Every right to believe that, because that's the promise I made to her. And if I'm messing around and I'm flirting, she has a right to be jealous because I'm violating the agreement, the covenant we have. And, you know, th this is what Paul is talking about here. He's saying, look, uh, ladies, you have a husband. He's your husband. He has committed himself to loving you, to protecting you, providing for you. Therefore, you should want to submit to him. He's your husband. He has committed himself. Now, I'm talking about a good husband, ideally. You know, he has committed himself to you. He loves you. He provides for you. He protects you. Um, you should want to submit to him. But ladies, understand this. That term, hupatasso, doesn't have nearly as much to do with what she is to do for him as it does to highlight what his responsibility is to do for her. We'll talk about that more next week. Because a lot of guys, and I've run into a few over the years, like to beat their wives over the head with, you know, Ephesians 5.22. Wives, submit. You know, submit, submit, submit. It's always submit. I, I knew a guy like that, right? And whenever I see a guy, a Christian guy, husband, who's always beaten his wife over the head with submit, 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 I know we, we, we're not talking about a godly man. Because if he was really godly and spirit-filled, he would understand. We'll talk about this more next week. He has the greater responsibility than she does. I'll show you what I mean next time. But this concept, guys, is reinforced in 1 Peter 3, where husbands are commanded to honor their wives as the weaker vessel. And, and that's not a put-down. That's not a put-down toward women, but an admonition of responsibility to men to love, protect, and provide for their wives who are physically weaker. Physically weaker. I know that doesn't go over well in our society, but God forbid you should mention any difference between men and women. But God says it here. Okay, guys, I've made you stronger because you're the protector. You're the one who's got to go out and hunt and, 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 and find food and so on. I have made you the stronger of the two. You are not to use that strength to intimidate or to hurt, but to protect and to serve your wife. Unfortunately, a lot of men don't do that, okay? Now listen, 
a lot of people have a, in our society they have trouble with this idea of, of, of submission, women submitting to their husbands. In Colossians chapter 3, there's the parallel passage. Ephesians and Colossians are very similar. And in Colossians 3.18, there's the uh, parallel passage of Ephesians 5.22. Let me read it to you. Colossians 3.18, because he had something in this context that's a little different. Paul said, wives, submit to your own husbands, listen, as is fitting in the Lord. The phrase, as is fitting, is the Greek verb, aneko, which is a word that was used of something that was legally binding. What Paul is saying is that a wife's submission to her husband is not a suggestion by God, nor is it an option for her. It is a divine command from God and is legally binding within the context of marriage. Now listen, God is not commanding women to get married. You will not find that anywhere in the scriptures. God does not command a woman to marry a man. And if a woman has a problem with this whole idea of submitting to her husband, she doesn't have to get married. And she's not in sin. She can remain single. But here's the thing. If you decide you are going to get married, gals, then you come under God's program for marriage. He's created it. He's instituted it. It functions by certain commands and laws. And if you're going to get married, you place yourself under the authority of your husband as God has designed and it is a legally binding contract now that you are to submit because that's what God has said. Paul said, wives, submit to your own husbands as is fitting, legally binding in the Lord. This is what God has ordained. Uh, we see a lot of people who are bucking against this. and This has been going on for a long time. Uh, but let me read to you one quote. I thought this was really good. I don't agree with John MacArthur on a lot of things, but I think he nailed it with this thing. Okay. Uh, but John MacArthur, uh, in his book, The Fulfilled Family, had this to say on this subject. He said, and I quote, I recognize that this whole issue of authority and submission in the home is not very popular. And do you know why? It's because we have had our minds literally brainwashed that we are doing an injustice to women by categorizing them in this way. If you have trouble accepting these principles, it's because you are part of a society that has been victimized by a godless, Christless, non-biblical philosophy of living that has been perpetrated for centuries on human thinking. What we're seeing today in our society is the result of the thinking of the French Revolution, which was a humanistic, egalitarian approach to life. They believed in a society where there was absolute equality, a classless, godless kind of humanistic existence. These ideas have been brewing for years and have now come to full brew, and our age is drinking them in. No classes, no sexes, no distinctions, no authority, no submission, and no humility. Our society has been victimized by this atheistic approach to life, and the church, instead of rejecting it, falls right into it by supporting equal rights for homosexuals, advocating women elders and women preachers, and functioning on a philosophical godless hermeneutic that forces a reinterpretation of the Bible in terms of our present time instead of accepting the authority of the Word of God, end quote. So we're living in a day when people don't want to accept what God has said, so they're reinterpreting it. Oh, that's controversial, they say. And, 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 and therefore, we, we need to see it in, in the light of modern culture. No, the Bible is not to be like silly putty formed to the cultural mindset of the day. The culture is to conform to what God has said. 
His word is sure, it's, uh, it, it, it doesn't change, and so on. And, you know, people don't want to hear that, though. They, they don't want to hear that, but it's absolutely true. And guys, we as Christians must stop allowing the world to conform us to its way of thinking and start allowing the Holy Spirit to conform our thinking to God's Word. Now, I'm not speaking of you guys in particular, but you, the church in general. Now listen, the submission of wives to their husbands isn't absolute. We've talked about this. In Ephesians 5.22, Paul says once again, Wives, submit to your own husbands, listen, as to the Lord. In other words, a wife is only to submit to her husband as long as he doesn't tell her to do something that God has forbidden or not to do something God has commanded. If he violates God's word, well, then she must obey God rather than man. Acts 5.29 And so she is never to do anything Jesus wouldn't tell her to do. The unsaved husband tells his Christian wife, let's go out and get drunk. She's not to obey that. If he tells her, let's watch pornography together, she's not to obey that. And likewise, and I've seen this with some men over the years, if uh, an unsaved husband will say, tells her that she can't go to church, she's to not obey that command. Now listen, Sunday morning, the saints are to be in church. That's what the Bible means when it says, don't forsake the fellowship of the saints. Midweek, I can't make a, a case from Scripture that you need to be here, girls, midweek. If your husband, who is unsaved, doesn't mind, great. Sunday morning, though, is the official time in the Scriptures where the church meets, the Lord's Day. And therefore, you are to be in church, unless, of course, you're sick or something like that. But I'm saying, if your husband says, you can't go to church, I don't want you going to church on Sunday. Say, honey, I have to go to church. That's what I'm commanded to do in Scripture after church, you are the rest of the day. You are my total focus. But I have to go to church to honor and worship the Lord. I've heard of some men that will tell their Christian wives, well, you, I don't want you reading the Bible in the house here. Well, if you can read your Bible when he's at work or when you're in another room, fine. A man that forbids his wife from reading God's word at all in the house, well, you have to obey God rather than men. We are to be in the word. Otherwise, if he doesn't do that, if he doesn't violate anything God has said, then she is to be submissive and not rebellious toward the authority of her husband. That's just godliness. You see, this was an issue in Paul's day. It was an issue in Paul's day because there was a women's liberation movement going on in the Roman Empire at that time. We see this especially in Corinth, where women refused to wear the head coverings that distinguished them as respectful Christian wives from prostitutes who also lived and worked in the city of Corinth who didn't wear head coverings. These were full veils, okay? Full veils. Well, uh, a woman in Corinth, because there was the temple of Aphrodite there, and it was run by a thousand temple priestesses, and at night they would come into the city and ply their trade among the men of Corinth and the money that was used for the upkeep of the temple. Well, they didn't wear full veils because if you're a prostitute, you know, uh, men had to see what they were buying, put it roughly, all right? But a Christian wife was to wear a veil in public, in Corinth. Now, this is the, there's a debate in the church whether Christian women should always wear head coverings and full veils. I don't believe that. I believe it was a unique situation for the women in Corinth because of the prostitution situation there. Uh, I have seen in certain churches where pastors kind of teach that a woman 
has to wear a head covering so they're wearing a little doily on their head or something like that. Well, it's not a doily, it's a full face covering. Okay, if you want to get biblical, all right? But I don't believe that's for all churches. I think Paul made that clear in 1 Corinthians 11. He said, I'm telling you this, but I don't have this rule for any other church, okay? Because you got a unique situation going on there, all right? But there was this women's lib movement going on in the Roman Empire. And uh, apparently in Corinth, it really hit hard. And, uh, you know, the women there were like, you know, hey, we're free in Christ. What, what do I have to wear this stupid veil all the time for? I mean, you know, I'm free in Christ, off with the veil. Well, of course, you're a Christian husband. Your wife's walking around like a prostitute. Doesn't exactly honor you. One author put it this way, said, and I quote, We know from secular history that various movements of women's liberation and feminism appeared in the Roman Empire during the New Testament times. Women would often take off their veils and other head coverings and cut their hair in order to look like men. Much as in our own day, some women were demanding to be treated exactly like men, and they attacked marriage and raising the raising of children as unjust restrictions of their rights. They asserted their independence by leaving their husbands and homes, refusing to care for their children, living with other men, demanding jobs traditionally held by men, wearing men's clothing and hairdos, and by discarding all signs of femininity. It is likely that some of the believers at Corinth were influenced by those movements and, as a sign of protest and independence, refused to cover their heads at appropriate times." End quote. But, you know, nothing, there's nothing new under the sun, right? We see this today. It was more prevalent in the 60s, I think. But um, in general, what the world is telling women is this. The world basically is telling women to be, you know, rebellious, aggressive, fiercely independent. But God in his word says that women are to cultivate the inward beauty of a quiet and gentle spirit coupled with a submissive attitude, listen, which is very precious in God's sight. Now, I know a lot of women would say, but my husband is an unbeliever. How can I submit to a man like that? Well, let's turn back to 1 Peter 3 and see what Peter has to say to the wives on this subject. So Peter starts off much like Paul, verse 1, Wives likewise, be submissive to your own husbands. Again, the word submissive is supertasso, to voluntarily place yourself under the authority of another. Nobody's commanding you to get married. If you're getting married, you're voluntarily placing yourself under the authority of your husband. This is what God wants, okay? Again, verse 1, Wives, likewise, be submissive to your own husbands that listen, even if some do not obey the word. Let me stop. This means that even if your husband is an unbeliever, as a Christian wife, you're still to submit to him, but as to the Lord, obviously, as we just talked about. So if he's going to tell you to do ungodly things, no, you're not to submit, uh, and so on. So if you're married to a guy that's not a believer, he doesn't obey the word, uh, you know, be submissive anyways, girls, what Peter is saying, uh, verse 1, that they without a word may be won by the conduct of their wives, one to Christ, when they observe your chaste conduct accompanied by fear. The New Living Translation translates that last part, your godly lives will speak to them without any words. They will be won over by observing your pure and reverent lives. Ladies, God love you. I know that you want to get that unsaved husband saved. I understand that. But your husbands won't get saved by you playing Holy Spirit and badgering them, okay, trying to convict them. We've talked about this, you know, I mean, 
Uh, you're not going to save your husband by writing, you know, at the bottom of his glass as he finishes his beer, repent, okay? <laughs> you know. In his lunchbox, you keep stuff in verses like these, okay? You know, probably not going to win him over. I could be wrong. Um, but, but, but so many gals, they want so badly. And I understand why. No, no toys around it. I understand you want your husband saved, okay? But Peter is telling you how to do it. Not by badgering, not by fighting, uh, and so on. Not by playing Holy Spirit and trying to convict. But simply by being a Christian wife. The way God has designed you to be. The commands he's given you. The Holy Spirit does the convicting. The Holy Spirit does the saving. You know, years ago, and uh, she's with the Lord now, but um, Chuck Missler's wife. Nancy, Nancy, for years, and uh, Chuck was saved. They were both saved, but he was not really walking with the Lord. He, he, he admits this, I mean, in their testimony, but he was a carnal kind of a guy. He was a, actually a uh, CEO of uh, various companies, so he was pretty high-powered guy, high-powered positions, made a lot of money, and as such, he really didn't treat his wife like he should have, and Chuck admits this. And so for years she tried badgering him. She tried badgering him and, 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 you know, and pointing out his failures and his language and how can you call yourself a Christian, you know, and it wasn't helping at all. Until one day, and I'm convincing this story, until one day the Lord spoke to Nancy and said, Nancy, when you start being the wife I've commanded you to be, I will start working on Chuck to make him the husband I want him to be. So Nancy completely changed her tactics. She stopped badgering her husband. She started serving her husband. Chuck said, I noticed it immediately because when I opened the refrigerator, it had all my favorite foods in it, not the favorite foods of the kids. When I sat down to eat, I didn't get the plate with the crack in it and the bent fork. I knew something was up. <laughs> Later, after Chuck and Nancy, I mean, it just revolutionized. I mean, Wow, God used Nancy to really nail Chuck. And it broke him eventually. And their marriage was incredibly healed. And then she went on to write a book, The Way of Agape. Agape is God's love. And you can't exercise agape love in your own strength. You have to be broken and submissive and let the Spirit of God work through you to, to love a person with God's love, it's supernatural love. And it's only going to happen when you stop, you know, if only we would look at ourselves. We're so perceptive of other people's faults, especially our spouses. God says, get your eyes off your spouse. Get your eyes on yourself and on me. And as we do, we see our own faults. We're broken, hopefully. We confess our sins, and then God begins to move. The Spirit of God begins to flow. But, you know, I understand why a lot of women really want to, they want to see their husbands saved, so they put the pressure on. But let me read you 1 Peter 3, verse 3 from the NLT. Peter goes on, Don't be concerned about the outward beauty of fancy hairstyles, expensive jewelry, or beautiful clothes. Now, listen, Peter isn't saying that a Christian woman can't look good. What's in view here is a preoccupation with outward beauty to the neglect of inward beauty. Today in our society, we have it exactly backwards. 
All the emphasis for women is on the outward, and there is very little, if any, inward beauty being cultivated. And so this is a call to wives. Peter is calling wives, commanding wives, to get your priorities in order and place inward character above outward beauty. Not a command to look plain. It's not saying women, you can't. You have to look, to look like Amish. You have to look like the girls. You got to look like the Amish. You're going to be holy. He's not commanding a woman to look plain or abstain from, uh, from using any makeup or fixing their hair or wearing stylish clothes. Please indulge me. I love the quote from J. Vernon McGee. You've heard me say it a hundred times. <laughs> but J. Vernon, you know, uh, great Bible teacher, uh, had a radio program for years. And one day a lady called in. And she was an older gal and kind of grew up in this, uh, this Christian church culture where women didn't wear makeup. Uh, in her circle, it was considered uh, a carnal. And, and a lot of the young women in the church wa were wearing makeup, lipstick and things, and, and didn't see any problem with it. And so this gal was so upset, she calls Jay Vernon's radio program. And, and, and she explains the situation. And she says, you know, Dr. McGee, now I, I know, I know you agree with me. And McGee just said, Madam, if the barn needs painting, paint it. <laughs> you know, it's not wrong for a woman to look pretty. It is wrong if that's all she focuses on is the outward beauty. God looks at the heart. God's looking at character, the inward beauty. And that's gotten lost somewhere in our, our culture, even in the church, even in the church. 1 Peter 3, verse 4 he said, rather, let it be the hidden person of the heart with the incorruptible beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which is very precious in the sight of God. Guys, this is so foreign to our society today. So many women, again, are listening to feminists who are encouraging them to be loud, rebellious, screaming for their rights, demanding to be heard. Feminism encourages women not to become the slaves of men in marriage. That's why they categorize it. It tells them to throw off their husband's authority, to rule over themselves, to go out and pursue their own careers because if he can do it, I can do it. Listen, there is a difference between a woman working outside the home and a woman then who is pursuing a career. It's a different thing, okay? My wife, when she was going to high school, purposely went to a high school that was a college preparatory high school. And she got such good grades, she wanted to be a lawyer, she got a partial scholarship to DePaul Law School. And then we met. And I told her, I said, honey, if you want to go to law school, I will work and, you know, and pay the difference and you can be a lawyer. And here's what she said to me. I said, no. She said, either I'm going to be a lawyer or I'm going to be a wife and mother. I can't do both. I, I can't be a lawyer and have a career and still be a good wife and mother. And so I respected that, and, you know, that's the choice she made. Because, and of course, she works a full-time job, uh, you know, and I'm, we're thankful that she has the job. We have our medical insurance through her company, but she would love to be home. I'm hoping the day is coming soon when she can be home and be with the grandkids. She's not a career girl, you know. I'm not putting down women who have careers. I'm just saying, you know, unless you're superwoman, it's very difficult, almost impossible, to have a successful career and be 
uh, the kind of mom and wife that God wants you to be. I, there's just not time to do both, I don't think, okay? I know some people will disagree with me. I might get some hate mail now as this goes out <laughs> on the radio. Okay. But again, God says that what is most precious to him is a woman of character, a woman who has cultivated inner beauty, which manifests itself in a quiet and submissive spirit. Now, we're talking a lot about women submitting to their husbands. Understand this. It doesn't mean that as women you have no rights. It doesn't mean that. No input. Uh, no say in the decisions that affect your marriage and household. It's simply about honoring and obeying God's design for the institution he has created. He tells us how it's to function. He has given us the rules that we are to obey if we are going to honor him in marriage and have the best marriage we can possibly have. It's all about honoring and obeying God's design for marriage. Look, you obey it, God will bless your marriage. You rebel against these things, you invite disaster upon your marriage and family. We, we don't sin against God with impunity. You know, I mean, if we violate something God has said, and you know, God's laws, God's commands are designed to give us the best life possible. There are people that, that say, you know, I don't want to be a Christian because, you know, you Christians can't have any fun. You can't go out and party and sleep around and get drunk all the time. God tells us not to do those things, primarily because they are unholy and he is a holy God. But the consequences, he wants to spare us from consequences. The consequences of drinking and partying and having sex with whoever. I mean, sex was ordained by God, and within the context of marriage, it's beautiful. It's, it's God-ordained. Outside the context of marriage, it becomes destructive. I love to sit in front of a fireplace and just watch the fire, you know? I'm sure most of you do, too. A fire is beautiful in the context of a fireplace. It gives light. It gives warmth. It makes you feel good. If the fire gets outside of the fireplace, whoa, it gets destructive and so on. Same thing with sex. God is not trying to keep you from having fun. He's trying to keep you from having the consequences of a promiscuous lifestyle that will bring diseases into your life that he doesn't want you to have to bear. He's watching over us when he tells us, look, here are the parameters. Don't go outside the parameters because you're going to suffer the consequences. And so on. So 1 Peter 3, verses 5 and 6. Again, let me read it to you out of the NLT. This is how the holy women of old made themselves beautiful. They trusted God and accepted the authority of their husbands. For instance, Sarah obeyed her husband Abraham and called him her master, actually Lord, which was a term of respect. You are her daughters when you do what is right without fear of what your husbands might do. In other words, look, he's talking to women who are Christians who are married to unbelievers. Peter says, look, we know that they don't always act the way that you would like. They're not Christians. But you respect them. You treat them the way God wants. And don't worry about what they do, God will take care of that. God will begin to work in their hearts, you see, is the idea. Now, I know at this point, some gals would say, yeah, but my unbelieving or sometimes believing husband is about to make a decision I know is a big mistake. <laughs> what do I do? Well, what you don't do is usurp your husband's authority, God-given authority, 
and do what you want to do in this given situation, all right? A lot of women think that it's submission when they do what their husband wants them to do and they want to do. It's not submission, okay, if you want to do it. It's only submission if your husband wants you to do something that God, that, excuse me, that you don't really want to do. Uh, you know, we have a gal in the church whose husband wants to move to another state and she's brokenhearted about it, but she's going to do it if that's what he wants. Now, she could be rebellious and say, I'm not going. You want to go? Go. I'm, I'm staying right here. You know? And, and there are Christian women who would do that. But God is saying, look, submission is not, you know, when you feel like it. It's when you don't feel like it. That's godly submission. Let's look at this. You know, we're talking now about, we'll say, a, uh, a Christian wife. Uh, maybe she's married to an unbeliever. Maybe a believer. It doesn't, you know. And the husband wants to do something pretty radical, pretty important decision he's thinking about making, okay? Now, think about your mind what that might be, but something pretty big. Okay, we're not talking about something small. Something really big, okay? And you are, as a Christian gal, you're like, uh, you know, I, wow, I don't think that's the way to go, you know? What do you do? Do you fight him? Do you rebel? No. Let's look at the story of Queen Esther. You don't have to turn here. I'll just share it with you, okay? I think Queen Esther exemplifies what a godly wife should do in the face of a husband's bad decision or something he is contemplating doing that's not really good all right you remember this story right and uh, uh king ahasuerus was married to vashti and uh, she kind of rebelled he wanted to show her off one day at a little soiree he was hosting for various heads of state and th things and and call vashti i want her you know i want everybody to see how beautiful she is well they called for her said, i'm too busy you know well in Persia, that was a big deal to say no to your husband, let alone the king. And so they came to the king and says, King, you've got to deal with this. All of our, if you don't deal with this, all of our wives are going to start rebelling against us. So the king was forced to kind of put her away. He, you know, he had to kind of divorce her. But after a while, he began to miss her. And, and so they said, well, look, why don't we uh, gather all the young, beautiful, single women from the kingdom, and you can choose a replacement queen. Okay. Well, you know the story. Esther was one of those gals, beautiful Jewish young woman. Uh, her folks were gone. She was raised by her cousin Mordecai. And um, King Ahasuerus' court, he had a guy named Haman that was kind of a right-hand guy. And he liked Haman. Uh, and so, you know, because the king elevated Haman to a place of authority in the kingdom, everywhere he went, people would bow down to him. But Mordecai, Mordecai is actually the way he said Mordecai wouldn't bow to this guy, and it really began to irk Haman, okay? So much so that he decides he wants to get back at Mordecai, but he doesn't want to just get back at Mordecai. He knows he's a Jew, and he wants to get the king to pass a decree that on a certain date, all the Jews in the kingdom are going to be wiped out. Not realizing, neither did the king nor Haman realize that Esther was a Jewess. So he gets the king to sign this decree. He tells them basically a lie that there's a, a contentious rebellious evil people among us and and king I, I think you should sign a decree that at a certain date uh they're all wiped out so for some reason and i'll give you i don't know how many uh how much money you know i'll, I'll donate to the treasury 
And so the king thought, okay, fine. You know, so he signs the decree, not realizing that his own wife fell into this category. So when Mordecai finds out about it, he goes to Esther and says, you've got to go in before the king and you've got to plead for your people. And Esther says, you don't understand. Our king hasn't called me for 30 days. And if I go in and he doesn't enter his presence uncalled for and he doesn't raise the golden scepter, it's my head. And Mordecai says those famous words that we all remember. Esther, do you think that you're going to escape the king's decree any more than the rest of us? Don't you realize that God has placed you in this position for such a time as this? And she says, okay, you get everyone fasting and praying, and I'll get my maidens. Uh, we'll fast and pray for three days. And I'll go in before the king, and if I perish, I perish. Wow. This was a big, she's, she's going into the king to tell him he's basically made a terrible mistake. These eastern kings didn't go for that, okay? They don't like to be told they were wrong. And she was going to ask him to rescind the order. So here's what she is not burst into his presence and begin barking at him. Here's what she does. First of all, she fasted and prayed. Chapter 4, verse 16. She fasted and prayed. Girls, if you're married to a guy, and, and especially if he's an unbeliever and he's contemplating doing something that you think, oh my goodness, that's going to be terrible, you go and you, first of all, you fast and pray. Second, she chose, Esther did, the right time. Her case was three days. So she waited for the right moment. She didn't just, you know, when he came home from work, hit him with this, okay, like a lot of gals do. Uh, but she chose the right time. She prayed about the right moment, and it took three days. You read about that in chapter 5, verse 1. Now, people are going to roll their eyes when I give you some of these. They're going to go, oh, come on. Well, I'm just going to tell you what happened with Esther. She put on her prettiest dress. Chapter 5, verse 1. She prepared him a gourmet meal. Chapter 5, verse 4. She presented her request in a humble, respectful way. Chapter 7, verse 3. Chapter 8, verse 3. And, of course, you remember how the story turned out. Haman was exposed and wound up hanging on the gallows he had, had, had built for, uh, for Mordecai to be killed on, all right? But the whole key to Esther's success, guys, was her attitude. Her attitude. Exactly what Peter is saying in chapter 3, verses 3 to 6. Guys, most marital problems are the direct result of lousy attitudes on the part of husbands and wives. Now, I know some of the godly women will be thinking, but what if after applying the Esther approach, he still insists on making this decision, which I believe is a mistake? What do you do? Well, you need to go ahead and submit because that's what God has commanded you to do. You need to go ahead and submit. That's what God has commanded you to do. I love what Tony Evans said, Pastor Tony Evans. He said, girls, submission is knowing how to duck so that God can hit your husband. Look, you get out of the way. He's thinking about doing something. You know in your heart as a Christian, you've prayed about it. This is not going to be good. Step out of the way. Let him do what he's thinking about doing and let God nail him with the consequences. And again, a lot of women would roll their eyes at this. I'm just telling you what I believe is the right way to do, how to handle this. Again, we're talking about the right attitude. We're talking about honoring and respecting the person God has placed over you as a, as a wife, your husband. A wife that lets her husband know 
that she is his listen, biggest fan. As she is in his corner, trusting his judgment and cheering him on, well, I believe that's going to go a long way in causing a man to take his responsibilities toward her seriously and to want to make good and wise decisions. Now, listen, gals, I understand that. And, and let me just say this. When it comes to women, I'm not an expert, but I've lived with the same woman for 40 years. I think it qualifies me to know a little something. But, but in general now, as a pastor, you, you, you learn things. Do you realize, guys, that women need to feel secure even more than they need to feel loved? Now, I, you know, I know it's like, really? How do you know that? Because I've seen women who are in abusive situations. Instead of leaving the man who is constantly abusing her physically, She'd rather stay in a situation where there's some security. It's a bad situation, but it's something she knows than to leave him to go off on her own into an unsure situation. Guys, you have to understand that. Your wives need to feel secure. And they're not going to feel secure if you're a loose cannon. You're making important decisions, shooting from the hip. You're not praying as a man of God. Shame on you. You're just, you know, winging it and shooting from the hip. And every stupid decision you make brings your family a little closer to complete financial ruin. And, you know, she suffered you making several very dumb decisions because you haven't prayed about it. And now one more decision, and it means we're, we're going to have to file bankruptcy and who knows what's going to happen. That's when she starts pushing back. That's when she starts fighting you. Because self-preservation, she's probably a mom and a mother watching over her kids. You all know how that is. So it's not just about her now, future. It's about the children. And because you're not really praying and you're winging it with these decisions and one bad decision after another, and now one more decision and it's over with, and she's like, I have to step in now. I have to step in. And that's when there's a lot of conflict. Look. I believe that if a woman will say to her husband, and this doesn't apply to all guys. Some guys are coconut heads. They're not going to learn. But you do your best, okay? And here's the thing. If you keep encouraging your husband that you're his biggest fan, that you are in his corner, that, honey, I, you know, I, I know you have our best interests at heart. I know you're a good husband and father and so on and so forth. A man like that, should begin to rise to the occasion and say, you know, this woman has invested so much confidence in me, in my leadership. I really better pray extra on this because I don't want to mess up and disappoint her and bring consequences into this family. Now, if he does make a bad decision and it results in some bad consequences, if she goes up and hugs him and says, honey, I know you tried your best for our family. I know God will get us out of this mess. You know, you don't throw it in his face. You don't put him down. You don't say, that's it, bozo. I'm making the decisions next time. You give him a hug and you say, honey, I know you did your best. I know you did what you thought was right. And uh, I support you. You know, we're going to pray and ask God to, to work this out. I mean, wow, any woman who treats her husband with that kind of love, support, and respect 
a woman who doesn't throw his mistakes in his face but loves and prays for him, look, that's a man who is going to want to do better next time. There was something I read years ago about men in the South back in the 1800s and how that so many of them were very godly men, very um, uh, men of character. And the article was something like, why were Southern men so godly, so such good men? Because of Southern women. It was because of their wives. They were so loving, supportive. They prayed for their husbands, submissive. It caused the men to want to rise to the occasion and be better men. Better men. If you've got a woman in your corner, guys, who loves you and is praying for you and is rooting you on and when you make a mistake doesn't throw it in your face gives you a hug and says honey i know you did your best let's pray god will work it out that is a woman that's going to cause a man to want to be a better husband and to make better decisions in the future so you know throw it out for whatever it's worth okay uh, that's just a quick look at god's command to wives next week we will look at what God commands the husbands to do, how they are to be in the marriage. So we'll look at that next time. Father, we thank you, Lord, for your word. And Lord, truly, your word is a light to our path and so on. If we walk in its light, if we obey its truths, we won't stumble in darkness. We won't run our lives into the ditch. Give us grace, Lord, because we're fighting the flesh. We're fighting the culture. We're fighting the devil. Give us grace to walk closely with you that we might be all that you want us to be as men and women, as husbands and wives. That especially in marriage, Lord, our marriages would honor you. You would look upon our marriages and say it is good. It is good. That you might bless our marriages as much as you can as we seek to live for you in every area of our life. So, Lord, we thank you. We ask you to continue blessing these studies in your word. We ask all this in Jesus' precious name. Amen.